0: With the international mission board twenty five years now, and uh I'm now assigned in the u s uh working on a project and then also I'm working with the Southern Baptist of Texas convention, and so I live in the Dallas area uh, I love living in that area, and the reason I love living in that area is my three grown children live there, and my grandchild lives there. <laughs> And it's fantastic being a grandparent. It's the best fun I've ever had in my life. It's much better than being a parent <laughs> and everything. But like I said, I've been in Asia Pacific. Does anybody know where Asia Pacific is? Asia Pacific covers half the world, okay? And uh, I've been with the organization 25 years. I did church planning for about uh, 10, 11 years. About 15 years, the last 15 years, I've been helping us paint a picture Of uh, people groups in Asia Pacific and which ones are reached, which ones are unreached, which ones are engaged, which ones are unengaged, and so forth. And so I've had the, I've been fortunate, I've been able to travel to lots of countries, been on many small islands, many big islands like Sumatra. Sumatra is a big island. And uh, so I've been able to go to a lot of different places, anywhere from very first world to very third world countries and everything. And so uh, this is what we're going to do. My time is limited, Okay, I've got 45 minutes to kind of do this. And so I'm going to give you just kind of a brief little picture and uh, everything as we go through this, and we're going to begin... Uh, looking at how do you really connect with different people groups? How do you connect with somebody who's from a different culture, who, are, who has a different language than you? You know, you don't have to have perfect language skills to be able to connect with people groups. Did you know that? You know, there's kind of, I've run into kind of some people overseas and here in the U.S. that kind of have the mindset set that you've got to be able to speak the language before you can witness to people and, uh, or you got to be of the same ethnic group in order to start a church among this ethnic group. That's not necessarily the case. You got to know how to connect with people in such a way that you're showing them love, but you're also respecting their culture. And that's kind of what I'm a specialty at. And so you got to begin with the right perspective. Did you know that Every one of us are ethnocentric. Does anybody know what the word ethnocentric means? Mark, what's the word ethnocentric mean? We focus on our own ethnicity. What it is, is basically we get so used to our own culture that we think it's right. In John chapter 4, verses 1 through 9, there's a story of where Jesus goes and he sits down by a well. Do you remember that? Okay, who did he meet there? the Samaritan woman. He goes and sits down by the well, and when he sits down at that well, this woman comes up, and what did Jesus do? He said, "Give me a drink of water." And then you read in verse 9, what does it say? The woman was surprised that Jesus spoke to him. And even identified Jesus as what? A Jew? Why is it a a Jew would speak to me, a Samaritan? Now, how did this woman who was a Samaritan know that Jesus was a Jew? Huh? You ever thought about that? It was because the cultural distinctives were different. You know, maybe it's because of the way Jesus smelt. You know, people in different cultures smell different. Did you know that? In Sumatra there's one tribe that they can go and smell other people and smell their skin and they know where they're from. Or maybe it's because of the way Jesus was dressed. Did Jesus dress like a Jew? Sure. Or maybe it's the way his beard was or his hair was. Or it also says in the Bible that when Jesus spoke, he spoke like a hillbilly okay or maybe it was just his accent the way he spoke you see culture teaches us to be ethnocentric it teaches us in america especially among anglos that you're supposed to sleep on a bed with what a mattress right and do you like a hard or a soft one i like a memory foam memory foam <laughs> Y'all understand that terminology? You know, in some cultures, you don't have that as a distinctive, right? I remember we went through the flood that was in Nashville two years ago. And when that flood happened, we were displaced. We'd lived overseas 25 years, and we'd been through, seen a lot of natural disasters and all this kind of stuff. But we'd never experienced one so firsthand because the water was six and a half feet deep in the place we were living in. And so we didn't have a place to go live, and my daughter was living in an apartment, and right across the way from where my daughter was was a Vietnamese family. And they took us in, and we go in. Guess where we slept? It was a mattress, but the mattress was on the floor. Okay? And as soon as we walked in, it smelled like we were in Vietnam. The thing that was unique about this Vietnamese family... Is they were American born Vietnamese. Spoke perfect English, went to Vanderbilt University, working on graduate degrees. But their cultural distinctives and who they were were still what? Vietnamese. You look at them, you talk to them, and you think they, they're just Americans. Matter of fact, they drove a, a Fiat, very nice vehicle. You know, I've never ridden in a Fiat in Vietnam, (laughs) you know. So the world that we live in, cultures, our culture teaches us what is right and wrong. And we assume that what is right in our culture is what? Also right in their culture. But Jesus saw beyond his own cultural preferences and did what? Asked the lady a question and that's what we have to do. We have to see worldview. We have to see that these people are different. If you're going to connect with people and people groups, you've got to see them as different. And it's okay that they're different, right? It's okay that they're different. And worldview consists of four realms. Look at these four realms. How do I act? What is best or good? What is real? Or your behaviors? Or your value systems? Or your beliefs? and we got to get beyond just seeing behaviors of people you know some of your behaviors are odd to other people right i i know in in asia a, a lot of asians see americans as what anybody know loud and noisy <laughs> you, you know and then some Americans that go overseas see Asians as quiet and timid. Now, is that true of all Asians? No. Is that true of all Americans? No. What we do is we stereotype, and it's because our preferences, our cultural preferences influence us a certain direction. We've got to get outside that box and everything. But what we want to see transformed in people is what? Not, their be, not just their behaviors, not just their values, not just their beliefs, but what? Their worldview. We want them to have a biblical worldview. You know, worldview is basically how you see the world. It's like wearing glasses. So we put on these glasses, we get up in the morning, and we go out and see the world a certain way. So we've got to see beyond that. Which one of these don't belong? Based on your cultural preferences. Which would you take out? Huh? Somebody answer. What? Logs. You see, culture causes us to categorize things. Okay? What if you come from a culture that this little tool does not exist? Or you never use it. And you always use these two tools then you might take out this, right? Just the way people see things and categorize things are different. How about this one? Which one would you exclude? Even within our own culture, we could see it different. Some people might take out the orange because these three are what? Okay, other people might say, well, I don't need the cup. You see how we categorize things in life? And that's what we do is we categorize things as right and wrong, and our way is right, and everybody else's is wrong. And that's not true. You've got to start out with the right perspective. Now look at this. This is just a, a, a good example. Football. If you go to the U.S. or even in Canada sometimes, football means what? Huh? This was actually an advertisement that was done in Malaysia by Hong Kong Shanghai Bank. Okay? What is this? Come on, speak up. It's a football. It's, it's a football. football. But it's what kind of football? football. Uh, uh, it's an NFL, right? National Football League type football. But look at this. You go to UK, and in a part of the world that I live in, this is called Football. Exact same cultural form. Football, football, football. But do they have the same meaning? They don't. Let me give you another example. In Chinese. The Chinese are always looking for a blessing. A blessing. I want a blessing. So if you say, well, how's this God going to bless you? You'll get a certain answer. Now, does that word "blessing," which is also the same word we use in Chinese, in a Christian sense, does it mean the same thing? No. Let me give you another word. In John three sixteen, what does it say? For God so loved the world. Da da da. da. Then you get on further down in that pa- in that in those chapters, and Jesus says, "What you must be born again." The word in Chinese is "chongsheng." Again, birth. Guess what that really means in Chinese? Huh? Reincarnation. So when you're communicating the gospel, even our forms of speaking sometimes can miscommunicate, right? So football, football, football means different things. Born again could mean different things based on the culture. So it's important to have the right perspective and realize that people think different they process information different they see things different and we learn a lot that way so our worldview is filled with our own cultural preferences anybody know what this is anybody know what that is chicken feet we started a a home a house church among some mainland china chinese and we've been going for about a month and a half two months now and um they wanted to invite my whole family, all my kids over to eat and everything. And so my son-in-law, he's about 30, 32, and uh, he's been to Singapore one time. That's the only time he's been in Asia. And he's very adventuresome in all this. Well, we sit down at the table, and the dish they put in front of my son-in-law is, guess what? It's not the barbecued chicken feet. It's the boiled chicken feet that are put in the refrigerator and cold that are brought out. And so the chicken feet are facing toward him. And he sees those and it's kind of like, whoa, what am I supposed to do with this? (laughs) And they're your favorite thing, aren't they, Terry? (laughs) But what is my favorite food? More than that. My favorite food is fish head curry. I love fish head curry. When I went overseas 25 years ago, I was introduced to fish head curry. Okay, it's a head of a fish, right, about this big. It's got okra in it, and it's very spicy, and all kinds of things and everything. And You know, I I first went, I thought, "Mm, hmm, it's an interesting dish. And then a, a national friend of mine reaches over after I'd eaten it about three or four times, and we'd become good friends, he reaches over and grabs the eyeball out and goes like this. What was my cultural preference, Mark? That was my cultural preference. But I had to go the step further and be incarnational and do what? Take it. You just say the missionary prayer, Lord, if I put it down, you keep it down. <laughs> and you go on, right? We had these cultural preferences that influence us so much. So if we're, if we're going to connect with a people group, we've got to get the right perspective. But then also we've got to work the right process. A process that I've often used is called observe, assume, and ask. I was trained in, in cultural studies and all this kind of stuff and everything and, and, and studied ethnography and everything. But when it comes down to doing, you know, connecting with a people group, you've got to go in and make objective observations, you know, just because something looks a certain way doesn't mean it's wrong. Just because somebody says something a certain way doesn't mean it's wrong. You've got to do observation. Observation is using all your five senses. Your smells. You ever been around somebody that smells different? It's kind of an odor you don't really like. I, I kind of learned something real important in Asia. Do you know I wear brute cologne? And guess what my Asians thought about my brute cologne? They didn't like it. They thought it smelled bad. I it did. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know when I first went overseas twenty five years ago, I kind of thought they smelled a little different. They kind of smelled like a gymnasium locker room. You, you understand? You know it, it's just different. It's not wrong. It's just different, you know. So you've you got to make objective observation using your smell, your sight, your hearing, your touch, and so forth. And then you begin to make an assumption. Is this, what does this mean? What does it mean? What's the meaning to what's going on here? Chong born again. What does that mean? And then you begin to ask questions. And ask, what does it really mean in their cultural frame of reference? And that's how you begin to connect with people. So, are you ready? I want you to tell tell me your first observation. Alan, what's your first observation? Okay, Was what? what's your first inclination? Be looking out for elephants. Be out for elephants. Okay, we're going to go a little further. Here's another one. What's your first thing can you see that look on that back there you can see it better it's a koala what's what's your first observation because see when you make that observation you're going to make an assumption it's just a natural thing you're going to do it right you're just going to make an assumption because you see it okay let's do another one they get a little bizarre as we go along here how about this one Okay. See what you did. You made an observation and you made an assumption. What's your assumption, Mark? What's your assumption? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> your assumption is what? Stay off that exit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, come on, tell the truth. What's your assumption? <laughs> the yeah, the 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 lodging they're talking about is a prison, huh? Well. That's, I don't think that was their intent, but see how you, you came up with that assumption? You observed something. We're only using our sight right now. Now look at this one. What about this one? What's your observation? Huh? Secret nuclear bunker. I kind of know where that's at now, don't you, Terry? (laughs) Not very secret, is it? Okay. So you see that, and then you have these assumptions. Okay. You can do that with smell. Right? I love to... Anybody know what durian is? You know what durian is? What's durian? Actually, it's not stinky. I think it smells great. But I lived there 25 years. Huh? <laughs> it, it, it's, a, it's called the King of the Fruit in Southeast Asia. And it's about this big. And it's, it's kind of like thorny. You know, it's got these little things that stick out. And it's got these little pods inside that are kind of fleshy and creamy. And it's like eating garlic ice cream. What? You're just staring at me like, it's great, man. It's it's amazing. <laughs> and you know what's really amazing about durian, is you get to eat it more than once. <laughs> you eat it and you get to belch it many times. And <laughs> have you ever eaten it, Dave? It's it's fantastic, isn't it? <laughs> and and. So you make these observations, you know, and it could be through your smell. It could be through anything. Now, look at this. What do you see? Make an observation. I was traveling on an island called Amami-Oshima. Amami-Oshima is north of Okinawa. And as I was traveling around, I always make observations, try to use my sense of smell and other things, and then, and then make an assumption. So I, I saw. I began to see a pattern. I began to see these shells on the top of the walls because they'd have these little um, not really walls, what do you call it, around a house? F- like a fence, but they're like concrete with tile. And they would have those around there. And I thought, hmm, I made an assumption. This must mean something. I want to find out. So this is what I found out. I began to interview people, began to talk to people. Okay? And I found out that these were special shells, and they have seven fingers. The normal ones have five or six, okay? These have seven fingers, and they represent the horns of the bull, and they ward off evil. So you put them over, over the, around the wall in a Mami, on a Mami oshima and you see them everywhere. You know, I just use a simple skill, observation, made an assumption this must mean something, and then I began to ask people questions. I was also on Okinawa. You saw these great sites, didn't you? And these things are huge. These are, these are I, I love to go where people are buried. You know why? If you find out how people are buried how a people group buries their people group. You also find out what they, how they deal with crisis in life. You find out about their worldview. You find out about how they're processing information and dealing with issues in life. So I, I, w- I go to grave sites all the time. And the reason why is because you, you see how people are buried. So I, I began to go and I saw this pattern of these were all built the same way, and this is huge. Like this door here is about uh, five and a half feet tall, that right there. And I began to see a pattern. I began to go out and ask people, what does this mean? What does this mean? You know, I made an assumption. I made an observation, made an assumption, began to ask people questions. And this is what I found out is this represents the mother's womb, that when you're born, you come out of the mother's womb, and when you die, you go back into the mother's womb. tells you a lot about their worldview, how they deal with, with issues in life, right? Then another one. I was on another island called Tokunoshima. Do you know where Tokunoshima is? Tokonoshima is between Amami-Oshima and Okinawa, okay? And I began to see these grave sites, and most of this was from Shintoism. You know what Shintoism, that's in Japan? And everything, but I began to see these black rocks, and I began to see a pattern. And I noticed this this one lady, and she was taking uh, sake. Do you know what sake is? Sake is like uh, fermented a million times over. uh, You know, it's kind of your uh, alcoholic drink for Japan. And on this island, they actually the sake they could not export because it was stronger than the japan government wouldn't let this island export their sake (laughs) okay so it was very strong this lady was pouring sake on these stones began to find out make a long story short this is what i found out as i began to interview more than one person is that when you die you're buried under the sand and then as you decay your soul or your your spirit goes into one of those stone stones. And each stone stands for a generation. And this area here was more ancestral worship than I'd ever seen in my life. Matter of fact, they had a on their signboard, as I made observation, they had a sign on their signboard as one of their things that they they do as far as a island is first respect your ancestors first respect your ancestors so how are you going to do evangelism and church playing in that kind of context it's important to know those kind of things isn't it how they're viewing life what they see as reality and all that kind of stuff and then i was somewhere else have you ever thought about tattoos what tattoos mean on people i just gave two examples here just last week i was in a, a thai restaurant And I was in this Thai restaurant, and I saw this one guy. He had a dragon right here. And then I saw another waiter there also. He had a dragon there. So I began to talk, and I began to connect with him. And asked him, hey, you know, I kind of like your tattoo. Wow, what is that? I already knew what it was, you know. And I already sort of knew what it meant because I've done so many of these kind of things. But I always go in acting stupid, you know. Wow, I like that tattoo, what, what is that? Oh, that's a dragon. Oh, tell me about that. See how I used an open-ended question? Tell me about that. You know, I didn't use a yes-no, a closed-ended question. Tell me about that. And he said, you know, I, I put this tattoo on here, and it was put on here when I was two years old because I was born in the year of the dragon. Oh, wow. Well, t- tell me more about that. What, what does that mean for you and everything? And he went on and on. Another situation I was in, I was in Austin, Texas. So see, I'm giving you some stories of what how I did this overseas, and you could do the same thing here. People here are the same way. I was in Austin, Texas, and I was in a Thai restaurant, and this, this lady had taken us to this um, Thai restaurant, which looked like a gas station, but I get inside, it's like a Thai, Thai restaurant. The lady that was uh, owned it had been here 18 years. Her son was born here, okay, so everything looked Thai inside. We're eating and all that. and They didn't have much business, you know, and everything. And so the son comes in. He was just graduating from high school. He comes in. I began to talk to him. And we're sitting there. And, uh, another guy that I was with who's from Austin, and he brings, they bring us fortune cookies, which I've never had fortune cookies in a Thai restaurant. But they bring fortune cookies, and we get them and everything. And the guy I was with said, let's just go. I said, no, let's open these and begin to play with them. Began to open them and play with them and everything. Able to get the son to come over, the 18-year-old. And I said to him, hey, man, what what do you think about these, these fortune cookies? He takes his billfold out and opens his billfold, and he says, I collect all of them. He spoke perfect Texan Austin English. Where was his worldview? It was still about... Keeping harmony and social harmony and the spirits in order. You've heard of feng shui? All this kind of stuff? That's how he functioned in life. You know, I want to see that boy's worldview changed. Not just his outward behavior. Okay? You know, I want to see his heart transformed so that when he has a crisis in life, he goes to Jesus. Not those little things that he's got in his billfold that he'll gradually get rid of those. See, if I hadn't asked that question, I would have never known that he collected those things. I would have never known that. So you do observe, you assume, and you ask. And the process that I do in asking is five fingers. On your left hand, you put these five things, family, friends, food, festivals, and future. So I ask questions around these subject matters, around family, If you begin to ask questions about family, what do you find out? You find out who's more important and who's less important in the family. You find out, is the elder son more important than the younger son? Who do they go to? You find out if the mother's making the decisions or the father's making the decisions. Okay? Friends. Why would I ask questions about friends? Huh? I want to be one of them, yeah. Yeah. Also, I want to find out who they want to hang out with and who they don't want to hang out with. Because if you find out who they don't want to hang out with, you also find out who their enemies are. You find out who their prejudices are. You know, we're all prejudiced. Did you know that? Every person in the world is prejudiced. It's just some people deny that they're prejudiced. Did you know that? We all have cultural preferences. And our cultural preferences lead to stereotyping, which leads to being prejudiced. That's just how it is. Okay? So you use those. You put those on one hand when you go in to talk to people. And on the other hand, you put these five W words. You don't use close-ended questions. What's a close-ended question? Yes or no? Do you want to believe in Jesus? That's a yes-no question, right? Well, you know, a lot of Asians, they're going to answer what? Yes. Seriously, they're going to answer, but does that mean they're transformed? They just don't want you to lose face. Did you hear what I said? They just don't want you to lose face. What would be a better question? What do you think about Jesus? You know, help them process it. Walk through it, all this. Use open ended questions and use these. And the reason I do this is because there's like 14 categories in cultural anthropology that had subcategories. And to make it simple, you can put five F's family, friends, food, festivals, future. Future, if you learn about the F, I was kind of stretching it here, you're learning do they think circular? Do they think linear? Do they think romantic? You know, how do they see time? Does that affect chronological storying? Sure does. Like the, the group that we're working with on Tuesday nights now, they think circular. Okay? So we started in the Gospels, and now we're back in Genesis. And next week we're back in the Gospels. You know, if you think circular, it's like you're beating around a bush. That's how some Americans think it is. You're beating around the bush. But you're not really beating around the bush. You get to what you're supposed to be getting at. So you don't necessarily have to do Genesis 1 before you do something in Exodus or something in Matthew. You can go around, okay, because you're reinforcing it and everything. So you're asking these questions. So you do observe, you assume, and you ask. Now let me get some practical handles. You're going to connect with people go to the same places for gas for groceries for coffee for a haircut lo and behold you ever heard of uh sports clips i live in frisco texas it's pretty a uh, pretty nice area that i live in and i go to sports click clips that's Three quarters of miles away. I get to Sports Clip. And the girl that cuts my hair, she had dyed her hair. It was kind of a blondish-orange color. And I I was looking at her, you know, through the mirror. And I thought, she kind of looks Chinese. I'm just going to speak some Chinese and see if she's Chinese. So I spoke Chinese. And she was like, wow. And she was from from, uh, Ho Chi Minh City and had lived in the U.S. about 20 years. And I go in there and get my haircut with that lady every time. And as soon as I walk in, guess what language she starts speaking? Chinese. And our conversations are on a different level now. I've been able to get four haircuts, okay, going back to that same lady. She's Vietnamese-Chinese. She's basically Cantonese is what she is, but she speaks Mandarin. And she told me the last time I was in there, she said, you know, I love you coming in here and us talking because we can talk about things that nobody else understands that we're talking about. I thought it was great. You know, I mean, it's on that different level, but it's because I'm being a regular. Then there's another restaurant that I go to, and that restaurant that I go to, uh, this is a a restaurant. They make potstickers. Anybody know what potstickers are? First time I went in there, it's just kind of a hole in the wall. You know what I mean? in the wall and as i walked in there i saw this elderly man and elderly lady over here making the pot stickers over in the corner so i just kind of weasel over and go over to where they are and kind of sit down at the table next to them and looked at them and they oh wow and so i start talking and you know we're fopping back and forth english and chinese you know Come to find out, you know, they make all their own potstickers homemade. And I go back to that restaurant all the time. At least once a week, my wife and I go back there. You know, we lived overseas a long time, and so we never cooked food at home. So why cook food in the U.S.? So we just go out to eat all the time. And it's great. You know, you're able to connect with people that way. So be a regular. Next, explore. Discover different parts of the community, the city, the county. Go to where you feel uncomfortable because you don't know who's going to be a person of peace. You don't know who's going to open their door. That's how we were able to get this one group that we have on Tuesday night started. Is we went to an area that was actually a very affluent area. And the home we're living in, they're from, they're, the, the everybody that's coming is from mainland China. And the home that we're in is a $600,000 house. They've been in the U.S. eight months. They came to the U.S., bought a house, $600,000, paid cash for it. And they bought a toy, brand-new Toyota Sienna. Okay? I've been a missionary. Terry, do I make a lot of money? i make a whole bunch, yeah. I felt a little uncomfortable connecting with these people because they're so well off. And last Sunday night, they invited all of our family over. Remember me telling you that? All of our family <laughs> over to eat and everything. And I'm talking to one of the sisters, and she has a million-dollar house. Been here 11 years. You know, very well off. You know, so pray for that group, that they'll come to know Christ. We've had one, the daughter has become a Christian. Just two weeks ago, she accepted Christ, and in that process. And the the rest of the family is all okay about it and everything. So explore different parts where you feel uncomfortable. Next, pray each day for a people group each day how much do you pray for a people group you know my wife and i have intentionally made prayer an important aspect in our ministry and and i hate to say it but i i think for 15 or 20 years i didn't really emphasize prayer like i do now while i was living overseas but you know it's a battle we're up against it's a war Next, sports. Get involved in sports. My son works for Stryker Communications. And in Stryker Communications, um, he met a guy who was from Nepal. Uh, Stryker Communications is medical, okay? They, sell, they do all the surgery rooms and stuff like this. And my son used to play professional soccer, and he actually was drafted to play overseas so he played overseas and um he's working there and this Nepalese guy had had heard about him playing professional so he said hey i've got a group of Nepalese guys that we all play soccer together will you come and play with us one night so my son goes and everything and plays with them and afterwards he s- afterwards you know, after he had played with them and everything and they got to know him, the, his his Nepalese co- colleague puts his arm around him and says, hey, I want to introduce you to our new coach. <laughs> and my son was like, oh, oh. <laughs> and so for the last year and a half, my son's been coaching that team. And about three weeks ago, I don't know if you know, the Nepalese are all connected. These people groups are connected in the U.S., so... They have their own Nepalese soccer league in the U.S., and they just had the Nepalese World Cup, USA World Cup, in Dallas-Fort Worth. Last year it was in Washington, D.C. This year it was in Dallas-Fort Worth. So I was able to go to one of the games. There were Nepalese there from Los Angeles. There were Nepalese from Washington, from Chicago, all over the U.S. They all knew each other. And so I'm encouraging my son and working with my son to start a house church among these Nepalese soccer players because they all know each other. If they can reach one here, they're going to reach him in some other city, aren't they? Right? They get excited about Christ and their life's transformed. They're going to reach out to other places and everything. So sports. Sports is a great way. It might not be the sport you know. Does anybody like badminton? Yeah. Is badminton kind of a doot, 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 huh? No. In Asia, it's a pretty, that, that, that birdie, we call it a birdie, right? It comes pretty fast, doesn't it? And if you're not careful when it comes, it'll stick in your leg and get stuck there, right? I mean, it comes pretty fast and everything. So sports. Another one, embrace their history. Learn the historical narrative in order to better understand them and what they have experienced. Learn what they've gone through. Listen to their story. If they were in a refugee camp, listen to that story. Learn from them. Learn what they've gone through and everything. Next, be a part of the people group's community. Live where they live. There's a guy I work with, and he's a university student, and he kind of got a heart toward uh, some of the Korean people group who are from Burma. And so him and another guy decided they would go live in this apartment complex that's kind of not a very nice apartment complex so that they can begin to minister to the Burmese. And he started a Burmese church among them. You know, isn't that a practical thing to do? Just go live among them. Go live where they live. You know, get out of our house where we are in our sphere of influence and go and be an influence in their community. Live among them. You know, strike up conversations for them. pray, pray for the people that you encounter. And then engage in a hobby or activity that they have, such as Tai Chi. Does anybody know what Tai Chi is? You know, I just found out about a group that's meeting just about two miles from my house, Chinese, that are doing Tai Chi. So I'm just going to show up one morning, kind of sit on a bench and watch them the first time, the second time, I'm going to begin to talk to them. The third time, I'm going to be up there kind of doing it with them. It's going to have a different meaning for me, though, okay? Cooking, walking, drinking bubble tea. Does anybody know what bubble tea is? Bubble tea is great, ain't it? <laughs> if you don't know what it is, come ask me afterwards. Karaoke. Does anybody know how to do karaoke? Karaoke. Okay, make them a relationship, though, not a project or a program. If you want to start a church among people groups, make it a relationship. Don't make it a project in your church. Don't make it a program. Get out among people. There's been all kinds of studies done, and we just don't learn it in the U.S., but people come to Christ through relationships more than they do events. We just don't listen to that. We continue to emphasize events and a program. It's relationships. It's encountering people in such a way that you're connecting with their culture and everything. And then lastly, learn and listen as you live in the community, learn, listen to the people you meet. Hear their stories and allow God to give you his burden for them. Develop deeper relationships and share life with them. And I'll end with this. This is what I do. I go in as a learner, a trader, and a storyteller. I want to learn from them and encounter them to connect with them. But then I want to begin to trade. You know, it's okay to share the problems and issues you've had in life with others, right? And then you become a storyteller. I love to tell stories. And do you know some of the stories I love to tell? What are they? Bible stories. You know, God, if you, if you go through the Bible, you know enough scripture. I'm sure you've been, some of you have gone to Sunday school classes and read all kinds of Bible stories. God can bring... your memory, those stories. And you don't have to go in and say, you know, the Bible says this. But you just start sharing that story. I was with a group of Indians and uh, they were fishermen. Okay? They were fishermen. And they were basically Tamil. That's a certain ethnolinguistic people group. And I just began to tell the story of what? Jonah and the whale. I told the story of Jonah and the whale. And there was like five of them. And after I got done, I said, what what do you think this story teaches us? Open-ended question. Let them respond back. One guy in the group says, well, if we obey God, he'll bless us. If we don't obey God, he'll punish us. Good start, right? So I went in as a learner, a trader, and a storyteller. Thanks for being here. I think we're finished.